welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here with Mr. Ross Ferguson, academic advisor. Glad to be back. It's good, it's good to have you. <laughs> uh, I got to ask you, so I saw on Facebook not too long ago, you were posting, um, you guys are acclimating to the culture, we're right? There, you came yeah. over on that ship and uh, you're acclimating to Kansas City uh, culture. You lived in the States before, so yeah. I know this is not completely you know, new to you. But as you explore like restaurants and things, oh, man. I saw that you got, you took your family to the Golden Corral because somebody recommended that you go to the Golden Corral. And the comment section on your post was just a litany of people going, first of all, who in their right mind would recommend that you go there? And also, um, why would you go there? And, and, and I was one of those. And it turns out it was one of our pastors, actually. It, it was, CJ it was one of the pastors <laughs> at Liberty. <laughs> Pastor CJ recommended you go to the Golden Corral. Um, I got to know, first of all, like why and what did you think of it? <laughs> well, I had asked CJ for the quintessential American experience. Okay. So to be uh. fair, he was giving me not just the best restaurant, but actually what is the experience. And uh, all I would say is, th- this is how I phrase it. They did 100 American dishes in a hundred different bad ways. Um, <laughs> honestly, it was just, I just remember yeah. sitting there with the kids going, we have paid a lot of money for this, so I'm going to eat it, Yeah, but I do not like this. <laughs> um, so we've tried multiple restaurants. Um, and, and again, by God's blessing, we've been blessed to be able to go and try these places out. But it's almost every place I try, the response I get from people is, oh no, why did you go there? Really? You know, like I, we just seem to be picking really bad places. I mean, we tried yeah. Waffle House, no, like, yeah, uh, yeah, why, exactly. exactly. Why are you doing this? <laughs> Everyone's just like, why are you going to these places? Yeah, I mean, my kids love Waffle House. They love it, and mainly because okay. they, you know, staff keep giving us freebies. Something about the accent. They uh, love the okay. accent and give us freebies, yeah. which is always great. But genuinely, we seem to go to places where Americans avoid, yeah. and the tourists go to and go, "Hey, this is the American experience." <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So far, we haven't tried. I, I don't know how many places we tried. Twenty or thirty. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. I can count in one hand the ones we've actually liked. Okay, <laughs> so, tell me what, what's one that what's your favorite? We like Freddy's. So oh, yeah, yeah, Freddy's, Freddy's is, is right across the road from the campus here at Midwestern. Uh, we love Freddy's. That was great. It's um, hard to go wrong with, with like a burger place. Yeah, I mean, we, we, I mean, do we have to talk about barbecue? So th- this is this is a thing I feel <laughs> okay. in Kansas City. Yeah. So in the UK, barbecue is not a thing. You know, yeah. it's just not a thing. Here, yeah. everyone's like, "Hey, where's your favorite barbecue?" I'm like, "Well, I've, I've tried Joe's. Oh no, you know, don't go to Joe's. No. Go go to Q39. Yeah, oh, I've yeah. not tried that yet. No, no, what you need to try is Jack Stack. And I'm like, sure. it's just barbecue. You know, <laughs> you sound like my wife. She's yeah. not very impressed by barbecue. So I like I like Jack Stack, but I'll only go when someone else is paying. Okay. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it's sort of the cheesecake factory yeah. of barbecue. Uh, I've not been to Q39, so if anyone's okay. listening and want to take my family to Q39, feel free to take us. There you we're, go. We're Someone's going to send you a gift card but, or a gift certificate. Yeah, but generally, uh, yeah, not not the greatest fan. Oh, I'm, I'm going to offend people now, but okay. not the greatest fan of American food as a whole. I like burgers. Okay. And then I'm wondering where all the vegetables are. I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering where all the home-cooked food is. I don't know. Maybe we've been recommended really have bad Have you places. been to Cracker Barrel? We have. Okay. So, like, Did if you you're hear looking that for silence? the quintessential, <laughs> like, when when CJ sent you to Golden Corral yeah. for the quintessential American, I would have thought, like, the Southern cooking, if you just want, like, a meat and three type deal, or if you, you get your protein and you can get in, in a variety of sides, 
what is it about? I, I can't imagine Scottish cuisine <laughs> is all that. Fl- the the stereotype of UK food is that it's dry or so, boring so, and unflavorful. So now you're touching an issue here. <laughs> so this, this has come up multiple times. So the way I phrase it is yeah. when Americans cook food, you do something to your food. So you take it out of the ground if it's veg or whatever, yeah. and then you cook it in, in, in a weird way. So for instance, yeah. carrots are boiled in like brown sugar to caramelize them. Uh, in the UK, we're just like, there's a carrot, wash it, eat it. You know, we don't do anything strange to it. Yeah, so yeah. Americans see it as bland. We see it as this is actually how food tastes. Um, I see. And in Scotland, um, we're known for fish and chips. So you go to the, the fish shop, the chip yeah, shop, yeah. and you, you get yourself, a, uh, you would love this, a pizza crunch. So you okay. get a half pizza. You, it gets dipped uh, in batter and it gets put in the fryer. So you basically have a battered pizza covered in salt with chips next to it. So it's a, called a pizza crunch. So you basically crunch oh, your way through a battered pizza. That actually does sound really interesting. It, it's really good. <laughs> it's really good. I mean, it is a heart attack on a plate. And okay. that is generally all of Scottish food. Okay. So, I um, mean, I, I will say coming from, um, you know, South Texas and my wife's from Louisiana, come from the South. We had issues with New Englander food because we've, you know, maybe this is just, you know, similar. They don't do it. They don't flavor it. Like, they don't season anything. And all I could figure is my theory was this is how, this is, you know, farmer, like, you eat for fuel. You're not eating for pleasure. You're eating to be able to get back out and work, you know, work in the in the pasture lands, you know, that sort of thing. Similar in, in the Midwest. But that seems like you're encountering seasoned food that you don't like. We're encountering... You should add something to this because it's a little bland. Maybe we're going to different places. I mean, the thing that I would say we've encountered everywhere and which we don't understand is free refills. So in the UK, (laughs) you pay for everything that you have. So, Man, this is the land of the free. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if a waitress comes to you and says, hey, you want another Coke? In the UK, you're like, no, because I am not paying another Coke. You know, Scottish people don't pay for things. So when when I came here, I don't know, I drank like bucket loads of Coke in the first Uh, month or two. I was like, hey, it's free. I'm going to drink it. Then I realized that that's not good for you. <laughs> well, if you're getting regular Coke, you can get something that's better for you, I guess. Yeah, I'm not that person. <laughs> so you're acclimating well. Yeah. Probably gain some weight. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. I appreciate that. Taste no, buds are changing. Uh, kids' accents are changing. Kids' accents changing. We're gaining weight. We're um, dying in the heat when we go walking anywhere. Yeah. Why do Americans not walk? So I, I have to ask this question. What do you mean? I walk every day. What are you talking about? Yeah, from your, from your house to your car and no, then drive. No, no, around the lake. Okay. You need to come up where I live. There's okay. some nice places up there. Yeah. We'd have to invite you. Yeah, I was about to say, is, is this an invitation? No, not yet. Well, I'll, I'll pray on it. He's, he's kind of walking back here. He's like, oh, yeah, no, yeah. what have I done here? Well, now it's you know it's going to be public that I've yeah. invited you to my place. But, yeah. No, people walk. What are you talking about? When I, I pull know. on campus, people are like. I, I, no one walks on campus. <laughs> well, that's people true. drive from the housing to the main chapel building. And <laughs> folks, just so you know, that is a seven-minute walk. Yeah. However, I did experience 95-degree heat. A couple of weeks ago. Yeah, there you go. And um, I walked into the office and they went, are, are you okay? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> no, I had 30 Cokes an hour ago. Yeah. I've just like sprinted up the hill and I'm just dying in this heat. We, we get right. low 80s in Scotland, so, you know. Well, I just remind you, it was God's will that you came here. Uh, yeah, I'm reminded of that daily and I do wonder why. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so. speaking of God's will, that's today's subject, Indeed, actually. yeah. Discovering the will of God. I don't know if you've had this experience in your life. Um, I grew up in a church culture where finding God's will was really important, and it was almost like this sort of 
I don't know, almost like Gnostic, you know, like this gnosis, this secret knowledge, you got to know God's will for your life. And I recall even uh, when I was a teenager, this was probably eighth grade or ninth grade, uh, I went on this youth retreat with my youth group. This is um, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And we were told, we were sent out one morning out into the mountains on our own and told, don't come back until you hear from God. And uh, man, this was so nerve-wracking. Like, I, you know, I went out and, you know, at the end of the day, you end up coming back and, and uh, we went around the circle. We were supposed to share what we heard from God. And I can't speak for anybody else, but for myself, which was, I didn't, I mean, I don't know what that, even what that was supposed to mean. But I made up some kind of impression or something that I had had because I didn't want to say I God didn't speak to me. Well, you would still be out there if God. Had I suppose to you. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I, I wonder. Everyone came back because they were like, oh, I got, "I'll just make something up," you know, because I'm tired of being out here. But there was one young lady. There was this one girl who, um, just in tears, um, was brave enough to say, "I didn't hear anything." And why didn't God speak to me? Well, God's speaking to all of you, but he's not speaking to... And I, I, I felt very guilty. I felt somewhat ashamed, but I also felt very sorry. And, I'm, and, you know, sorry for her. And I've never forgotten that, that there was so much pressure on finding this word or this knowledge or this will that she almost felt like maybe God doesn't love me because he's not speaking to me. And that's an extreme example, but I... I want to talk about this finding God's will. How do you know God's will for your life? Is it, um, you know, we have people who say, you know, I'll go to such and such college or I'll marry such and such spouse if I know that it's God's will. How, how do you know what God's will is? Do you, is this a, a, a deal where you're from? Do you have this kind of language or this kind of... We certainly do have that language. And, and it's interesting, the main times I hear it is about relationships. How do you know mm-hmm. if it's God's will that I should marry this That's individual? Right. And I have had pastor friends that, you know, quip, well, you marry them. That's how you, That's know. How you uh, know. right? Which, you know, great for this kind of terrified, you know, kid trying to figure out who he's going to marry type thing. And for me, I think the starting place is not right. I, th- I think we do want to determine what God's will is, but I think the starting place of, okay, God, what's your will for this situation? I think that starting place is actually a wrong starting place okay. when trying to determine God's will. Personally, I'm drawn to Romans 12 and the first few verses. And the first few verses talk about a life that is focused as a worshipful life before Christ that we're, we're giving our lives to Christ in a worshipful way. So that means there's a, there's been a spiritual change in our lives so that we're walking with Christ. It then moves on to not being conformed to, to the world. So this, this worshipful life before Christ is also a different life before the world as well. So we are actively living counterculturally. It then talks about discerning the will of God. Mm. And I think the starting place should not be what is the will of God. I think the starting place is where is my relationship with God and how am I reflecting that in the way I live? Essentially, are we fixated on Christ and are we living a gospel-centered life? That's the starting place. Because I don't think we can discern God's will if we're not, in fact, following after God. Yeah, that makes sense. I I wonder if it comes from, uh, you know, my concern is sort of like, where does this idea originate from? Mm -hmm. First of all, it it comes from a sincere place of wanting to be aligned with God, to walk in the Spirit. I mean, there's biblical language that comes from this, you know, um, you know, that bolsters this concept or or, um, is the foundation for this concept. And yet, I think there's a a desire to sort of... um, 
avoid difficulty mm. that is unbiblical in which we attach this idea of God's will to. So just as an example, I need to know what God's will is for me in terms of where to go to school or who to marry or you know whatever it is, what job to take. And the reason I got to know that is because if I don't, if I pick something that's not God's will, it's going to blow up in my face. It's going to be a disaster. It's going to be it's going to be tragic. Well, I'll end up arguing with my spouse all the time or uh, you know. And w- what happens is you know, say someone chooses because they don't know. They don't they don't have the word from on high or whatever it is and they choose a job or they choose a a, a school and things go horribly. They're not doing well and they think I must not have been God's will. <laughs> this guy. So the idea that the the bad theology underneath that's driving our understanding of God's will is the idea that if it's God's will, it will be easy. Yeah, nothing bad will happen. Nothing bad will happen. That that it will be comfortable. Yeah, I don't. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> no, no. And I think the reality is that it's. Could you say it's fear? I don't know if it is fear. I think yeah. fear might might start it, but it, it's a kind of indifference towards. Uh, I, I don't want to suffer for the sake of Christ. Yeah. And if I'm in God's will, then there will be no suffering. I can tell you right now, that's not been my life. <laughs> so well, been... you've been way out of God's will, I yeah, guess. Yeah, exactly. I guess so. I don't tell my wife that. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think discerning God's will, I think for everybody, they have this picture of what a Christian life should be like. Yeah. And I think that's an inaccurate mm. picture um, yeah. in terms of how to It to happens pursue. in pastoral ministry too, doesn't oh, it? Because, very much so. Um, there's guys like they don't, you know, to make certain decisions, they're trying to avoid difficulty, or if they're in a pastorate that is causing, you know, not causing, but is experiencing great difficulties, a season of, of suffering or hostility or something like that, they begin to wonder, like, maybe I'm not called here, or maybe this is not where I'm supposed to be. And again, it's 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 going back to this idea that if God calls you to something, it will be easy and yeah. comfortable. And we don't even have any indication from the Bible that that's the case. In fact, he very often specifically calls us, you know, I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake, yeah, right? Yeah. He, he calls us in, you know, into difficulty. He causes, you know, uh, um, us into discomfort to mm-hmm. take up our cross is the, is the call of daily discipleship to Jesus. So I'm picturing the person who is a sort of a cliche. I'm sure someone has done this, but they don't, you know, eat you know, breakfast until they hear from the Lord, or they don't they don't know which shoe to tie first until they hear from the Lord. And what's the problem with that kind of theology? What's the it's very scrupulous. It's almost I think a it, mental disorder with spirituality thrown yeah, on top I of it. I think you're forgetting about the free will and the grace of God <laughs> to actually allow us to live. Okay. You know, I, do I think it was the will of God for us to go to Golden Corral? Uh, you know, it was, was not because it, it was very discomforting. <laughs> it was a it was a suffering process. Yeah. Uh, no, I think I think I think God is interested in the way we live, and I think God has a plan for us, and I think that's very clear in Scripture that that we are walking in the path that God sets before us. But can we say that if we tie the right shoelace before the left shoelace, then we've stepped outside God's will? I I don't know if God is as interested in our shoelaces as he is in our heart and (laughs) Mm -hmm. and what we're trying to achieve. i tell you one thing that's interesting. You jumped into pastors going, oh, suffering here, maybe we're not in God's will. It's interesting. The first thing that came to my mind was the abuse of God's will and saying, hey, I'm the pastor and God has told me this is the way we're going. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I actually went the opposite way where I didn't go for that. I'm trying to avoid something. I went for that. I'm trying to shoehorn something in by saying, <laughs> God spoke to me last night. And yeah. by the way, we're knocking down our building. And we're going to rebuild. Um, mm. do you know, So I went for more the kind of abuse nature of it. But I think the reality is, I think God wants us to live in our in our characters, in our personalities. You know, He uniquely made us in that way. 
So I think there is the reality of free will and God's grace for us to live our lives before yeah. him. Is is it a, a function of almost blaming God for our fearfulness and for our disobedience? Yeah. We're waiting on him or we're you know trying to use him to tell us how to obey, but really we're it, he's an excuse for disobedience. Just like, you know, the extreme example is, you know, someone who's walking in sin and, you know, perhaps on the verge of church discipline who says something like, you know, I talked to God and he's okay with it, you know. Like, well, gosh, if I guess if you talk to God. It's the know. Garden of Eden. It's Adam. Yeah. Hey, it's the woman you gave me. Yeah, so it's yeah. the, he knew God's will. He knew God's planning. He knew mm. what he was meant to do in terms of obedience. But he then used that to reflect back to God, hey, you're at fault here. So you, the reason I sinned is because you directed me to do this yeah. because you gave me this this woman. So yeah, I, I do think it is a kind of blame culture of either not wanting to be blamed for it or wanting to blame someone else for going the wrong direction. Mm. What would you say? Put your uh, your pastor hat back on. Someone comes to you and they they're struggling with this. They're making a major decision. This is not a, an issue of sin. Uh, you know, it's just a multiple what seem like neutral choices. Mm. I did the pro and con list and. I'm really struggling with uh, what's God's will. I'm afraid that um, it, I'm going to choose something mm. that's outside of God's will. What would you, you know, how would you counsel them? First thing I would say is pro and con lists are subjective. So whatever <laughs> you want to do, you're going to put more on that side. So okay. if you're fearful, your, your con list is going to be long. Okay. And if you're ready to take the risk, your pro list is going to be long. It's, it's subjective mm. to how your heart is. For me personally, I always counsel the obvious things. You know, are you praying about this? Are you talking about this? Are you sharing this with your family? I think those are the obvious things. But for me personally, I'm a big believer in pushing the doors. So you push the doors and you say to God, okay, you close the ones. You make it obvious. Mm. You open the doors that you're meant to, to go in. And so if you have three options, you push all three options and you push them to the very nth degree until it becomes clearer that doors are, are closing. That gets complicated as a model if they all stay open or they all stay closed. But I would push the opportunities prayerfully, actually seeking God to say, I'm going to put every effort into pushing this. God, you stop it. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit's moving me into something or out of something. And therefore, I'm going to push this and you close it on, on my behalf. And more often than not, when I've counseled people to do that, they have then done that and it's become obvious. You know, should I take this job or should yeah. I take that job? We'll push both. And then they find out actually one job is twice the amount of hours and they can't do it. Okay, door closed, move on to the next. But when that happens, I think we need to praise God for either answer, a closed or an open door. People often see closed doors as a negative. Personally, I see that as a, a moment to praise God. If a door has been closed, then God doesn't want you to do that. You're yeah. to move to an open door. For us, in a setting that we're in, we had to push multiple doors as to which college to attend. And we had a complication where every college said yes and every college gave us an <laughs> offer. And I was like, okay, God, I've pushed every door to the nth degree. What do I do now? And we got a distinct feeling in, in, in our prayer life that God was saying, by my grace, I'm going to let you choose. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you have four open doors. You can yeah. now choose. Well, yeah, I want to talk about that because there are some dear souls who their fear isn't trying, you know, seeking to avoid difficulty. Mm -hmm. But the idea that, um, you know, maybe there's something, you know, um, unholy or disobedient in choosing something that they really want or really desire, and gosh, it would be more holy if I sacrificed and went and chose something that's going to be difficult uh, for that reason. And so, you know, is it our role sometimes to say to somebody, what do you want? What yeah. do you, like if Absolutely. someone came to me and they were struggling with this about like, what's God's will, this college or that college, and... 
And you know, the first thing I would you know say is which do you prefer? Yeah, absolutely. But there's almost this fear of yeah. if I do the one I prefer, I'm being self indulgent or I'm. So that's specifically, I see that in terms of the cult setting and and work in terms of people progressing in pastoral ministry. You know, they don't want to say out loud, I want to be a senior pastor that preaches every Sunday because (laughs) they feel judged for that. But hey, if that is what your desire is and you are seeing your skill sets and you're seeing God moving you in that way, don't be nervous. Jump feet first and trust that Mm. God is going to take you. I don't think think God is, is, is standing there saying, if you don't take a suffering position, then you're not a child of mine. <laughs> right. And again, I always hark back to, to the Garden of Eden. Things were made wonderful as a blessing. God wanted to give fullness of life to his creation, not half-hearted fullness. And therefore, when sin came in, that's where that issue comes in of we don't quite know where we stand before God. But if we are a believer in Christ and the gospel is something we genuinely believe in and live by, then we know there is fullness and joy in the steps that we're going to make, even within the trial. We count mm-hmm. the trials as as a blessing, as a, yeah. as a wonderful. But yeah, I think sometimes you do need to do the things you, you enjoy and don't do the things you don't enjoy. Right. I'm not saying that for everything. You know, if you don't enjoy evangelism and you're an evangelism pastor, uh, there's maybe an issue here. Right. But I think essentially our personalities will lead us to different things. This is something that comes into my marriage, um, and I got to be really careful. Uh, when, <laughs> as soon as I said that, I was like, "Oh no, where am I going here?" But but Miriam and I are very different personalities. Uh, I, I'm somebody that jumps feet first in. I, I fear very little. I'm ready to go for something. Uh, Miriam's a little bit more reserved, and and she would have a tendency to uh, kind of sit back and and see what's going to happen, and I'll jump right in. And that's okay. That's our personality. So when we were coming to the States, I was like, hey, tickets are booked. Let's go. And she's like, uh, okay, where are we going to live? And, mm. you know, what we're going to drive and, you know, all these sorts of things. And she was looking more at the family life. But that's because I spend most of my time serving in ministry. And Miriam spends most of her time essentially allowing our family to live in a, in a kind of wonderful uh, manner. So I do think whatever your preference is, God takes that into account. You know, I'm sure yeah. I, I'm certain of that that God gives us these personalities to max out on in terms of the service for His kingdom. Um, you know, sometimes people talk about two levels of God's will, right? Mm. The is it decretive or declarative will? The things that are explicit in Scripture, you know, it's God's will for you um, to obey Him, to you know, repent of sin. There, there's things you know to do and not to do because God explicitly tells you to do them or not to do them. That would be the you know decretive will, but then there's the secret will. That's the thing that I think most po- you know folks are kind of concerned about or anxious about. And I love, I think it's Augustine um, who says, "Love God and do what you want." I think the order is important, yeah. right? So if, you, if your affections are properly ordered, um, you know, do what you want by itself is a is a hedonistic sort of view, and, and maybe the Christian hedonist would say, "Amen, that's right." But to have your affections oriented around uh, around the Lord Himself, that that He is the center of your life, He is the center of, of the universe for you, um, and then your desires will be shaped by that, right? So the things that you want will be changed. But all things being equal, so to speak, love God, and then do what you want. I, I think it's pretty sound advice. Yeah. It's it, it, it's it's liberating advice. So unless you know if you've done the pro and con and you have the you know the you know certain convictions or, or um, you know uh, discernment you know brought in to bear, 
what is it that you want to do? What's the, what is the desire of your heart, right? Assuming that you're, you're honoring God and, and you know, seeking to do His will, so to speak, why not choose what you want to do? What school seems better to you? What, you know, that sort of thing. Um, that's why I come yeah. back to Romans 12, because yeah. that's where it starts from, is are you fixing your eyes on Christ? Are you living in such a way that you are holy before him and that you are reflecting a gospel-centered life? It is only once that is happening that we can actually discern the will of God. Um, and that is where we test out. I don't think you can discern what is the right thing or wrong thing to do if you're actually wandering in sin and wandering away from God. I think you need that focus in your life before God to be able to then determine what is meant to be coming next in your life. Paul, in 1 Thessalonians, um, he gives, I mean, directly, this is what God's will for you is, abstain from sexual immorality and so on and so forth. So you have the decretive thing. I want us to close with basically revealing God's will for those who are listening. If you're listening and you're wondering, what's God's will for my life? I know God's will for your life. This comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And it is in verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, verse 17, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So if you ever wondered, what's God's will for you? It's rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. So you, you chose the school, it's not going great. <laughs> give thanks. You, you pick the job. And it's not going well. Give thanks. You pick the spouse. <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> it's not going well. Give thanks. And also, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And um, I'm just going to say, you know, the Lord is um, sovereignly upholding the universe by the word of his power. I don't think that he is um, obsessively micromanaging. I'm treading lightly here. Every individual the minutia of the decisions that he has given you a heart and a conscience and and a, and a mind to make. Um, I say that as a devotee of Reformed theology, and yet I do think we're set free mm, to uh, you know follow uh, to follow God according to conscience. I don't know. Your mileage may differ. Hey, let's go to the Golden Corral. <laughs> no, thank you. Maybe the chocolate fountains. I working. thought I was coming over to yours to walk around this lake. <laughs> Yeah, we should do that instead. There is there is no Golden Corral where I live. <laughs> Praise God. Give thanks in all circumstances. Dear listener, if you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.